I had a father who, in his younger days, was very active, and he was also involved in in um, in the emergency. During the emergency, he went to many places and many secret places he found in the forest. And uh, later, when everything was peaceful again and we were kids, he used to take us a lot into the forest. And I remember my youth uh, as a kid of about what, eight, seven, eight years old, running in the wilds of Tasik Burra, barefoot with Orang Asli kid. And when the military helicopter comes in, uh, I, uh, we are all running. And the first thing the, uh, the, um, the doctor on board would do is throw soap and toothbrushes and toothpaste, wanting us all to go and get uh, brushed up and clean before they come and visit him. And little did I know, uh, 10 years later, at the age of 20, I will become a banker. So I was May banking for a while. But four and a half years later, I realized uh, banking wasn't my cup of tea. And uh, I didn't like Kuala Lumpur because of the traffic jam. 35 years ago, came to Langkawi and just immediately fell in love with this island. And I knew this was the place uh, to put down root. Ishad Mubarak, renowned naturalist, conservationist, book author and founder of ecotourism operator Janggawala Langkawi in Malaysia. I'm Noel Lim on ASEAN Speaks, Maybank Investment Banking Group. We take a break from our usual show about the markets to celebrate World Wetlands Day. In this special, we put the spotlight on mangroves, which are coastal wetlands that grow in the tropical and subtropical areas. So did mangroves start life in Langkawi? This is a very contentious subject. Uh, it's been suggested that mangroves evolved some 80 to 85 million years ago. The earliest fossilised records of mangroves can be found uh, in the Yucatan Peninsula. That might be so, but on the other side, there are another school of thought, another school of scientists uh, that claim that the origin story of mangroves may well have been here in Southeast Asia. Southeast Asia is the perfect the laboratory for evolutionary pro- processes. It's an, ins- it's an it's a area of thousands of islands. Indonesia alone have well over 17,000 islands, Philippines 7,000 islands, Malaysia is full of islands. So the rise and fall of the oceans, the connection and again the disconnection uh, of these islands provided the greatest condition for evolutionary processes to happen. So it is here in Southeast Asia that we have the greatest diversity of mangroves on the planet. How do mangroves inform us of our past? Well, mangroves um, is an ongoing, continuous evolutionary adaptation process. You have to really go deep into the soils to understand into the mud of these mangroves to understand its past. And, and uh, this past uh, uh, is written in the layers and layers of mud beneath it. So the first, for example, we believe that uh, the earliest first such plant to thrive in such a mangrove environment, the fossilized record tell us it might be nipa, the nipa palm. That's the oldest 
a record of such a plan, an estuary plan in a tidal environment. And I, I've seen some amazing things uh, in up, traveling up rivers, not only in Langkawi, but even uh, along rivers in Sedili. Just five days ago, I went to a place called Sedili, and it's wetlands, right? So I went through a transition from mangroves, mostly rhizophora or rhizophora, and then it transitioned to a new type of forest, the Nipah forests, that eventually uh, thin out to a third type of forest, which we call dominated by uh, Barringtonia trees. And finally, we, uh, we ended up in an, an environment upriver, higher upriver, uh, that was mostly made up of pandanus. So in the wetlands, a wonderful transition into four different belts. So you can tell the history uh, of uh, going up a river, but the, the real history of what was the past, you got to go into the mud to understand the different strata, to search uh, evidence of the history. Supported by a dense network of roots, the trees and vegetations in mangroves are partially submerged in water, providing a habitat for thousands of marine species like crabs and fish, and attracting shorebirds and migratory birds to take cover. Consequently, mangroves are a source of livelihood for coastal communities while helping stabilise the shoreline and prevent erosion. Their fascinating ecosystem, appearing to live in a world of their own, is actually very much interconnected with our lives in the mainland, as they keep seawater from encroaching on inland waterways, reducing the impact of floods and tsunamis. Some scientists and academicians have devoted their careers to studying mangroves. One of them is Dr. Audrey Amir, who has published papers and written articles. He is the head of the Environmental, Economic and Social Sustainability Research Centre under Lestari at University Kebangsaan Malaysia or UKM. I was a student uh, at the Faculty of um, Environmental Science at UKM. I was writing my uh, honours thesis when I discovered like this um, habitat, this ecosystem was not properly uh, studied or not comprehensively studied at that time. And somehow the uniqueness, you know, like um, all the characteristics, like like the root systems, like they have this unique characteristic that really attracted me. And so I felt like, you know, so attached. And yeah, that, that was a start. And then for my PhD, I, I actually studied like a more unique thing about, about mangrove where the lightning strikes, uh, disturbance, for example, that create uh, canopy gaps within the, the mangrove. And that actually uh, drives a, a natural regeneration in mangrove forests. So, yeah, since then, I think uh, uh, um, during the undergraduate study and my PhD, I, I pledged my eternal love towards mangrove. <laughs> well, they play an important role in mitigating the effects of climate change as carbon sinks, meaning they suck up carbon dioxide from the air to store in their branches and roots deep into the soil below water for thousands of years. While mangroves only account for a small percentage of total land mass in the world, they punch above their weight in absorbing carbon. Of the whole uh, global land mass, so they are very small, they are very little. But then uh, within this 1-2% to 2 of global land mass, uh, their ability to absorb and sequester carbon are 3 to 5 times higher than other tropical forests. It depends. It depends on, on different uh, types of habitat and ecosystem. Some say up to 10 times higher 
compared to other types of habitats and ecosystems on Earth. Why are they such effective carbon absorbers? Yeah, because of the extreme condition of the of the of the environment in the intertidal zone, they have to work very hard to absorb carbon dioxide. So that turns into a fast rate of absorption. That's one. Uh, dead leaves, yeah, uh, uh, or, or leaf litter coming from these trees, uh, don't just fall on the on the on the ground. They are actually being kept in the soil eh, for for many 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 hundreds and thousands and millions of years. This is uh, uh, this is a result of a co-working in between um, other creatures as well. So the, the leaves, uh, the fallen leaf contains like a solid or pure carbon, and these leaves are being fed by crabs, for example. So they eat, they eat, they eat, they eat on the on the ground, and then many of them will carry the leaf into their burrows, into their into their holes, and these leaves are being kept, yeah, being uh, uh, patched onto the walls, and the whole solid carbon stays in the sediment, yeah, in the in the soil for many 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 million years. So comparing to to terrestrial forests, these leaves, yeah, these organic um, for for bacterial activity to turn it into uh, organic uh, material, organic carbon, and kept on the, on the topsoil. But in mangrove, this carbon goes straight into the sediment. So this is one way of them uh, regulating uh, carbon uh, in, the, in the habitat and ecosystem. How is Malaysia doing in terms of protecting and restoring its mangroves? There was uh, plenty of research um, estimating uh, the amount of loss and many of them like recorded like 50% of the original mangroves in around 1980. Actually, a, a deep plunge of the amount of uh, mangrove forest reserve uh, last in, in the last century that we can, we, I mean, uh, we could see like um, uh, the numbers declining until 1990 until 2000s. And then the tsunami happened in 2004 that killed over 200,000 people and caused massive damage in coastal areas of Sumatra, Thailand, northern parts of Malaysia like Langkawi and Penang, as well as Sri Lanka and the Maldives. The 2004 tsunami actually sent a lot of signals, sent a lot of messages uh, to, to the managers. Uh, since 2005, a lot of restoration activities have been going on. A lot of um, mang um, mangrove forests are being gazetted, are being protected yeah, to be a forest reserve. So now, uh, uh, since the beginning of this century, the rate of uh, loss has been dropped to like 0.1 uh, to 0.2% a year. The latest um, a survey done by, by our friends at Forest Research Institute of Malaysia uh, record, uh, record like uh, 600 plus thousand hectares of mangrove in Malaysia, but about 500,000 hectares uh, are being protected at the moment. So there are uh, about 100,000 hectares that are uh, still a forested ecosystem, but they are not protected legally. While great effort has been taken to preserve mangroves, they continue to come under stress due to tidal action and clearing of land for agriculture and economic development. Yeah, so with the increasing sea level, yeah, with the stress coming from, from climate change, yeah, increase in sea level, so they, they will need space behind, I mean on the land, right, to, to move, to, 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 to transition themselves when that happens.
So now we have all this physical development on land that deter them from from uh, undergoing this dynamic process. So this is one stress that they have. So imagine also when sea level rises, yeah, they will be totally inundated, like permanently inundated, and that is not conducive anymore for mangrove. So they will die uh, that way. Of course, the other stresses. Uh, like increasing uh, storms, increasing winds, yeah, increasing wave actions, and of course other pollution, man-made pollution like like oil spills, for example. So yeah, that that is coming from ocean, and the rest coming from from land. So they are stuck in the middle. <laughs> they have to tolerate both sides, right? Then there is tourism. Ishad is concerned. Tourism today is like a double-edged sword. Yeah, we saw an improvement when they stopped the production of charcoal, but now tourism itself uh, can, has already be, uh, has begun to pose a danger to it. The, there are, for example, in uh, two very important rivers where tourists visit: Sungai Kilim and uh, Sungai Itau, Tanjung Ru. Uh, there are over, well over 400, 500 boats that are plying these enclosed waterways, the meandering mangroves. And uh, they, it's unregulated. The speed these boats go are unregulated. It's all voluntarily managed. So the speed they go in some of these waterways uh, increases the size of the wake that erode the bank that causes trees to fall over. So uh, then the churning of the propellers, uh, uh, what's this, increases sedimentation. And when the, uh, these sediments are carried out to the open sea, they settle on the corals. So ecotourism, unregulated, has impacted uh, our natural uh, environment. It's like um, uh, it's, it's affecting the fishing community. As you understand, coral reefs, uh, if you may have heard, wonderful nursery for baby fish uh, and baby prawns and a wonderful place for crabs. So the loss of forests, of these mangrove forests, uh, impacts the fishing community along with the coral life outside that they also depend on. So in future, I see on the horizon uh, a conflict between the uh, tourism operators, boat operators, and the fishing community. This needs to be addressed as soon as possible. What is the solution? What can the Malaysian government do? Have better enforcement? You know, there's no silver bullet, one single silver bullet. This situation must be addressed in multiple fashion. So first and foremost, no politician wants to be unpopular. But we need to see real leadership. If nothing is done, we will be killing that goose. But here are some of the things they should do. One, introduce minimum carrying capacities. That means regulating the number of tourists that visit these sites. That's most important. Encourage or 
uh, encourage the use of solar and electric boats. They go at a, at a, they don't make so much noise, they don't release so much fumes, they don't put oil in the water. Three, regulate the speeds these boats are allowed to travel uh, within these enclosed waterways. They can't be racing through with their heavy loads of tourists. Yeah. Uh, then introduce best practices rules and to certify such operators. Fifth, limiting the routes and alternating the routes so that uh, the forest and its fauna can be allowed to recover in certain patches by alternating the routes. Uh, and introducing a small or nominal le levy, a fee, a nature fee on each visitor. And this fee accumulated will be used for the protection and the rehabilitation uh, of the mangroves. And seven, as you just said, enforcement of these regulations. And we need to see it, we need to see fines being issued for those that break these conservation rules. Malaysia has on record over 600,000 hectares of mangroves, of which about 500,000 are being protected. Is that enough considering we used to have double the size? Audrey weighs in. Ah, good question. This triggers uh, our research actually to identify the degraded mangrove area. So in, in the 1980s, when the scientists at that time um, uh, highlighted about the loss of 50% of the mangrove. So we need to know where the original location uh, or the original expand of the mangrove, right? So this work is being carried out now, like to identify these de degraded areas. So if 600,000 hectares of um, mangrove currently, uh, we currently have, there should be 1.2 uh, million hectares, right? If 50% if, if is the magic number here, so we have to identify and we have to expand it to, to that size. How should we approach regeneration? Totally protecting whatever existing mangrove that, that, that we have left. So I think that, that should be the first step that uh, Malaysian government can do. Uh, so protect what we have left. And secondly, identify uh, degraded mangrove, yeah, degraded coastal areas. Um, study them properly, yeah, record them properly, and then plan for habitat restoration. So I think, uh, yeah, yeah, and then again, restoration itself needs to be supported uh, by scientific methods, yeah, input from 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 uh, scientists, input from academic, and then of course this must be, uh, uh, we must engage local communities to be part of these uh, restoration activities because they are there, they live there, they grow there, and they know their surroundings, and they will be the, the, the first beneficiary highlight here. Like to restore mangrove, we have to do it right. First, it must be supported by, by uh, a strong scientific input. Yeah, like, like for example, like yeah, on the coastline, we cannot plant them on beaches, we cannot plant them on seagrasses, we cannot plant them on, on, on coral reefs, right? Because these are all uh, um, a, a, a habitat and ecosystem uh, themselves, right? A unique uh, habitat and ecosystem themselves. So 
what, what we can do now is to identify that um, uh, suitable in intertidal areas in which um, uh, they can accommodate uh, uh, mangrove properly. So we don't we don't simply spend a lot of money. We don't simply um, uh, um, you know get people together. Yeah, purchase as many seedlings as possible and simply plant them everywhere. So it must be supported by scientific basis. Yeah? How can companies help? What corporate organizations are doing at the moment is to support uh, planting activities, for example. Uh, so this is where company, companies can do better. Like For example, they, they don't just spend money to buy seedlings, for example, and to get people to, to get together and plan. So maybe they can um, uh, uh, spending or maybe uh, supporting research funding first, like identifying this area, get to know this particular area of interest, yeah, uh, do a feasibility study to understand if this area is uh, suitable to be restored. Yeah? Because there will be issues like land tenure, for example, right? So we don't know who owns the land. So some, some there, there, were every, uh, there were cases before, like people simply plant everywhere <laughs> and then suddenly that area being bulldozed, right? Because it is already earmarked or planned for uh, other type of development, yeah? either by state or state, state uh, as the owner or maybe private owners. Yeah? So that, that uh, issue must be settled first. And then understanding the condition of the area, yeah, the physical characteristics, bio, biological characteristic of the area. So maybe spend some money on that. So we know that mangroves can store vast amounts of carbon and their regeneration can be a source of carbon credits, forming what we call blue carbon stock. Singapore has started Climate Impact X, a global exchange and marketplace to trade such carbon credits among others. But what are Audrey's thoughts about having a mechanism in Malaysia to produce credits? Policies uh, would be important. Uh, it must be supported by a strong legal uh, uh, legal um, tools, right? For example, like acts yeah, for for at federal level, we need uh, the federal government to come up with a strong uh, act to facilitate this effort. And then it, it again, as, as land is a state matter in Malaysia, it must be supported by uh, state enactments or ordinance, right? To 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 facilitate um, uh, carbon um, uh, credit mechanism. And as we know, at the moment, we don't have that. Asia is circumspect and cautions against over-relying on carbon offsets. Two sides to the argument. Uh, carbon credits can be an excuse for some companies that are polluting companies to continue to pollute, but to, to pay for carbon credits so that they, they can continue to, to pollute. You know what I mean, yeah? But it has to be a genuine effort. And I can speak of a wonderful hotel that I'm, that I'm involved with. It's called the Datai. And the Datai is making genuine efforts to reduce their carbon uh, output by changing within, by putting less waste into the landfill. We've almost zero waste at the Datai. Everything is upcycled, recycled, 
our wastes are separated. We have a place where green waste goes back into a little farm. We have a permaculture garden called the garden. We have a, and we use it, utilizing it by going even one step further by coming up with uh, a program called the Datai Pledge, where we also uh, are doing efforts to conserve uh, the rainforests by creating wildlife corridors within the island that animals can cross uh, to different uh, core ecological zones. We also in the sea by building um, fish aggregating devices for the local fishing community to fish at. So they leave the natural corals alone and then we would rehabilitate that, uh, the natural corals. So you have to, it has to be a genuine effort to reduce your carbon. You can't just think it's an easy solution. We can continue to pollute and uh, we just buy credits. It's helpful for poor nations to protect their rainforests, but that's not going to stop the amount of carbon in the atmosphere, really. Mangroves are the silent superheroes in our modern world as they protect us from shore erosion and floods. How worried should we be when they all dry up, die off and disappear? Yes, mangroves are... Uh, I, I wrote it, I have a book and the chapter is called The Kings of Adaptability. And to me, um, mangroves are the epitome of, of adaptability. So they will survive long after we've gone. They will survive. They will adapt to these conditions of oceans rise. They just move a little bit deeper. Yeah, so eventually uh, we cannot fight nature. Nature is stronger. Nature will adapt. The question is, will we change? Will we adapt?